Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to My Millennial Career. My name's Shelley Johnson. I'm a HR consultant and the founder at Boldside. Hey, Em. Hey, Shell. Emily Bowen here, and I'm the COO of Rarekind. Today on the show, we're joined by Dom Price. He's the work futurist at Atlassian, and his role focuses on helping them scale and grow. And he's worked with some huge brands around the world, companies like Red Bull, San Antonio Spurs, and so many others. And oh my goodness, we cover so much ground on this episode. Dom tells us about the highs and lows in his own career, including some of the toughest feedback he's received. You'll find out how he's created opportunities and pursued learning And we'll talk teams, leadership, and dealing with brilliant jerks. Ah, buckle up. It's a big one. Hey, Dom. Hey, how are you two doing? Looking forward to the conversation today. Really good. I feel like I'm joined by Dom Price and Dom Price's biggest fan. (laughs) So, you know, you talked before we started recording about me sort of seeming to take a little bit of a passenger seat and I'm just getting out of the way of the president of your okay. fan club. <laughs> Wait. You're just, play, just playing Gainsbury. <laughs> totally. I'm just like, I'll hold it back if it starts to get That's weird. That's it. If but, it gets awkward. Yeah. If you yeah. get awkward. We, let's have a safe word. The safe word is Philadelphia. Just, if it gets awkward, just a couple of taps on the nose. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I love that. We've established that up front. We're all clear on the expectations. Um <laughs> Dom, I have to say, like, I have loved your work. I, back in, the, I first came across your work in 2019 and there was this HRM article, uh, Human Resource Management article, mm. magazine theory. I'm like, who's this Dom Price guy wearing the T-shirt on this HRM mag, which is usually pretty corporate vibes. Yeah. And I read your article and it was about really navigating, creating team culture and navigating team tension, or I think you mm. might have used the word f- friction or yeah. having this thing of sparring on teams. And I loved that article so much. I did something super old school and weird, which is kind of uh, ironic, really. But anyway, we'll get to that. And so I photocopied this magazine and I gave it hard copy to all of these people within the business I was working in to be like, you need to read this. This is so helpful for how we have uh, healthy and constructive I team conversations. And so it's really nice to be able to actually talk with you in person about what you do. And to kick off, I just love to hear a bit about you, about your journey, your work futurist at Atlassian. What does that look like? Yeah, so let, let, let's go back in the day, right? So, so back in the day when I was graduating university, my, my dearest parents, my family were like, Dom, um, you need to kind of grow up and get a proper job. So I became a chartered accountant at Deloitte. And um, I, I'm a recovering chartered accountant. I've been sober <laughs> for 15 years now. But I was, I was like god awful at it. I, I did it because of expectation. People told me I could have a job for life. It didn't matter that I was literally terrible at it. But um, I, I learned a lot in doing it. But, but one of the things I learned was I'm like, I need to find something that I'm good at and pays me well and I enjoy and, and has got that growth and challenge. 
And so over time, I have to be very opportunistic. And, and you know, for the last nine years at Atlassian, first four and a half of those, I was running program management, right? Quite a tactical role, how we deliver products and services, how we get sort of engineers working with designers, working with product managers and QL, like quite diverse teams. And I quickly realized the delivery part of that, I was probably okay at. You'd probably say, Dom, you excel at mediocrity. Like I was really average <laughs> at it. But the bit I really enjoyed was saying, what might this look like in the future when we double in size, where we've got more teams, more locations, different generations in the workforce? This gets more complex. How do we make that? St- how do we make it still a great place to work? And how do we build thriving teams? Just as context, when I joined Atlassian, we were about six, seven hundred people across two locations. We're now like up, you know nearly ten thousand people across ten thousand locations, right? Because now we've got this whole work from anywhere thing. And so in that time, everything's changed. And so my job in the last five years has been our work futurist to say, how do we get curious about what work might look like? Not machine learning, artificial intelligence, any of that boring jazz. Uh, I'm not worried about cryptocurrency. I'm worried about how you get humans to work effectively. And how do we do that today so we can build better experiences tomorrow? And, and then not just doing that internally at Atlassian. The best part of my role is I spend half my time outside Atlassian doing that with our customers, right? Helping other companies that are often, uh, let's be kind, a little bit more traditional, uh, maybe a little bit more heritage or nostalgic, how, how to get them to, to basically bring themselves into this modern version of work. So it's a, a huge amount of fun. And if I'm deadly honest, it's a completely made up job, but no one's caught me out yet. So that's fine. I'm glad you asked that because I'm sitting here and I'm a recruiter by trade. So I won't uh, hold the accountant thing against you any more than you'll hold the recruiter thing against me. That's it, yeah. <laughs> However, I was sitting here thinking, right, five years ago, you, you've stepped into this work futurist job. I appreciate you were already in the business, but I'm going, surely that wasn't, you know, some internal job ad where somebody Correct. knew exactly what the position description would be. How, how did this come about for Atlassian? The recruiter in you is very wise. <laughs> um, the, essentially, uh, and it's, it's a good point, actually. It was an opportunistic conversation. I've never had a career p- plan in my entire career, right? Uh, I, I've, I've considered that. I've put myself in positions where opportunities, I listen for opportunities, they come my way, and I like to explore them. This one was a, a coffee with one of our uh, really senior marketing people. She's an absolutely awesome lady called Heather Staples. Having a conversation in San Francisco and she's like Dom I've got a hunch I've got a hunch that our customers have got this demand that we've not yet understood not around technology but around ways of working human to human and given our missions all about you know unleashing the potential of teams I think we should have a voice in that and I'm like I I agree and she's like cool do you want to experiment for three months and see if it's a thing and I was like yeah cool so the the theoretical idea was 50% 50% of my time for three months. Uh, that experiment never concluded. Five years on, I'm still in the role. It bears no resemblance today. I'm still called work futurist. Bears no resemblance. I still don't have a job description and I still don't have a career plan. But what I do is I sign up for constant evolution. So every year we do decent milestone planning, but even within the quarter, there's a constant conversation of going, where do we best use our time to deliver value? Which means that I've changed over those five years, I've changed the mix of internally focused versus externally. There was, there was some point where I was probably 80, 90% externally focused, and then I lost touch with the business. I'm like, oh, I wanna come back in. I come back in and I, and I get to do some great work with some great teams, and then not sharing with our customers, right? It's easy to do more media than it is to do effects. Like trying to get that mix is constantly changing, and it changed fundamentally when the pandemic hit. Because actually, and, and just, just like some, some open truths for you, I got really bored about talking about the future of work because everyone wanted to talk about the future of work and it got really noisy. And I was like, and to be honest, it was just full of BS. 
It was just people making random motherhood apple pie statements. I'm like, it's not true. It's not based on any science or data. And you're just talking absolute SHIT. So what's the point? So I flipped to talk about modern work. I'm like, I don't want to talk about the future. I don't want to want to talk about five, 10 years time. Let's talk about how we make work today better. And if we make it one degree better today, and then one degree better next week, then we're on our way to the future. But let's not worry about crypto, 5G, artificial intelligence and machine learning change the world when we've actually not found an effective way of working today. So let's focus on modern work. So I'm still called work futurist, but I've, I've maybe tightened my time horizon slightly. I love that. There's so many things in what you've just said that I like want to dive into. And I think about that idea of you being a work futurist and I love how you've gone with the opportunity. Like you haven't had a career plan. You, you don't have these goals where you're like, here's my five-year plan and let me roll it out for you and we'll yeah. unpack that. It's it's going with where you're seeing opportunities. For our listeners who are probably thinking, oh, I want to go, I want to find opportunities. What would you encourage them to do? Like what should you be looking for to go, here's an opportunity that you could pursue um, or mm. here's where the growth might be. What What is some of those signals for you, Dom? Yeah. I, I, I love that. So in, in lieu of a career plan, one thing, essential bit of, of kind of anchor that I think everyone needs is self-awareness, right? So so I, I, I throughout my career, have got a huge amount of feedback. And let's be honest, lots of it was really confronting and quite uncomfortable, but it helped me eventually become a better person. That feedback became invaluable. I didn't always enjoy receiving it, certainly when it was more critical or random feedback, but, but I, and it's not reassurance. I don't need reassurance. Um, I'm a middle-aged, straight white guy. I don't need any reassurance. I'm privileged as all hell. But what I do need is critique to enable me to round out those edges, right? And so I've surrounded myself by people that give me that that meaningful, crucial feedback that enables me to go, okay, if here's what I want to look like in the future, if I want to look and feel this certain way, and I, I'm not doing that now, I now have at least acknowledged the gap. And I think we need to acknowledge the gap. I think, I think way too often people go chasing the career path. I want to be a certain level versus going... What do I see myself doing and what does that total package look like in terms of me enjoying it and getting value and growing and learning? Once I've done that, my personal learning style is people. I don't learn well from books. I can read a book, I get to the end of it and I don't remember any of it. Um, I've been on a very strict diet of fiction for four years now. I cannot read business books because I get to the end and I'm like, I, I actually feel dumber at the end of it than I did when I started. But I get that same knowledge from people, right? So I'll have conversations with people like you and I'm like, ah, oh, I learn infinitely more from that peer-to-peer conversation. So then it's about me and I've been really fortunate. I've had great mentors and coaches that I've grabbed throughout my career and gone, help me. Here's a specific gap I have. I acknowledge you as having that skill. Please help me learn how you do that. And I'm just grabbing from lots of different people, doing it my own way, it manifests differently for me, but grabbing those skills and competencies of people and then just experimenting with it. And so I think the question I've asked the most that I would love to equip all your listeners with is a question with someone in your organization to say, hey, I'm trying to grow skill X. Can you give me an opportunity to practice that? Because I think the crucial skills we need in the modern work environment are not learned from a book, they're learned from a lived experience. So you need to find a safe environment where you get to practice it. I've had that my entire career. I feel quite fortunate for that. But I think when we do, those lived experiences become real, right? And then you can grow yourself. You can then grow others. But I I don't think we're going to get it from reading books. Let's start talking about teams. So we'll we'll sort of jump from here. Um, I reckon you can handle a double-pronged question. So Mm. I'm going to throw one at you. I've got a feeling you'll be fine. Uh, I'm really curious to scene set what, what does your team look like, Dom? And, and secondly, 
extending from that, what do you look for in teams at Atlassian? Yeah, a lot. So first of all, team is not a singular, it's a plural for, for the vast majority of people, right? You're in teams, you're going to identify as being a membership of different teams. And, and many of those are outside of work. I'm, I'm a member of a over 35s football team, right? We drink more than we play football, but that's fine. It's all part of the process. Um, I'm a member of leadership teams at Atlassian. I'm a member of delivery teams, right? There's other guilds and, and committees and gatherings that, that I'm a part of, and we all have our own rituals. Um, a couple of things for me is one is, given that we're probably in and I think your, your average listener is going to be in more than one team is to be like what's my role in each team because sometimes it's subtly different and sometimes it's fundamentally different and I don't mean role by title right every team uh, in the work context I turn up in I'm Atlassian's work futurist my title stays the same but my actual role in the team what they want me to do and what I'm responsible for are different and if I don't know that and I assume it I almost always get it wrong Right, so it, it sounds kind of like deeply unsexy and quite boring, but like, what is my role in this team? Do you want me to be the agitator or am I the decision maker? Because if I'm the agitator, I'm going to challenge you on everything. If I'm the decision maker, I'll say yes or no. And so just understanding that. And then what I look for in teams is balance, right? It's the most crucial thing in, in my teams, which is have I got the right balance of skills? Have I got the right balance of mindset, of background? Have I got enough diversity to really bring that respectful dissent and friction? You know, a lot of people talk about psychological safety and don't really understand that a psychologically safe team has friction. You argue with each other because you bring your true self and passion to the table. I think people think psychological safety is high fives all round, right? And it's not. That, that's a homogenous team. They're very different. They're the people that finish your sentences. You hang out with them on the weekend. They're lovely people. Don't make them colleagues. You agree too quickly and you don't diverge, right? It's actually counterintuitive. And so for, for me, that that... That balance means that I can start to build an inclusive work environment and I can start to build a team that's going to have that friction and evolve over time. And that, that balance changes. It's not static. So what's a balanced team for me when I'm forming and starting out might be different from when I'm in delivery. So I'm willing to swap people in and out as their value changes on the team. It's not a static thing. I've been thinking a lot, Dom, about this idea of team tension and how mm. team tension, I often find leaders of teams, they, they look for two things. So the first thing they look, they, or they, they typically do two things when it comes to na- navigating tension. The first is they avoid it. And the second is that they try to resolve it. I love what you're saying, because I think you're talking about the third option, which is harnessing tension. It's, yeah, yeah. It's, Celebrate it. Embrace it's, it. It's there. Yeah, and it's like, how do you become, if you think about an orchestra, there's a conductor of an orchestra. Mm. And as a leader, you're you're a conductor of team tension. And I want to know, because you're so, a, a lot of your work focuses on this idea of, of the human element of team. And there's mm. so many variables. We all come to work with our own kind of, you know, weirdness that we bring. Yeah, like our a, own history, our own baggage, right, our own assumptions on the world. That's right. And so, what does a good he- health healthy team like if you're like this team's kicking goals are there signals you're looking for and on the flip ah, like what yes. do those things look like yeah, yeah. so let, let, let's talk about the mistake first right so a lot of people love to talk about high performing teams go and read the literatures uh covey leccioni right there's a whole lot of history there and you're like oh seven dysfunctions of a team and here's how right that's going to give you a generic layer that is completely irrelevant to the actual experience you're having right so uh, really good books uh, read them if you need to sleep at night right but then just park that to one side and say, as a leader, what's my role? As, as the conductor of this family, of this orchestra, what's my role? There's a couple of things that we know are pivotal for a team to be healthy. Not high-performing. High-performing is very different. Healthy, right? They need a shared understanding of why they're doing 
what they're doing. Um, why and what, very different things. The what is the list of tasks. The why is, what's the outcome? What, what's the purpose here, right? Um, if you don't have that, you end up just doing the tasks and then going, I don't know if that was good or not. I, I did the 10 things, I just don't know if they were the right 10. So, so if you're just doing the what, they're just doing the tasks, um, you end up being efficient, you end up being fast, but irrelevant. If you if you just do the why, that gives you the effectiveness, it gives you the purpose, the right, the outcome. But again, you want to be efficient as well. So it's about doing both of those. So shared understanding, absolutely critical. Uh, second thing for us, we just mentioned roles and responsibilities. So we're forming as a team, what's my role, what's your role, what do we hold each other accountable for? And then the third one for us is working agreements. How do we actually want to operate? I arrive with my assumptions of how I like to work. You arrive with your assumptions and we never discuss it. And you're like, this is crazy, right? We're going to wait for six weeks till we all fall out with each other and then fix it versus saying, how do we carve out the right amount of time? We've got an exercise we've been running for the last few years with, with every time we form a new team, whether it be new people or just forming a new team with old people, doesn't matter, called the team formation guide. Roles, responsibilities, purpose. We go through my user manual, which is where Shell and M, you get to share all your baggage from your past. Here's how you consume me as a person, right? You go to Ikea and buy furniture, comes with a user manual. You go to JB Hi-Fi and buy a TV, comes with a user manual. You hire a human and we don't come with a user manual. So we build our own, right? And when we go through that and we get our same shared purpose and the shared understanding, we then build a working agreement. Um, wh when are we gonna Slack each other? When are we gonna email? When do we open a page? What's, a, what's relevant for a WhatsApp? How do we communicate? When do we need to be online? What's our expectation of how we work together? We agree that in advance. That gives you a chance at being a high-performing team. The reality is most of the companies I work with and certainly most of the teams in Atlassian, the sheer rate of change we're going through and the externalities in the world that change around us you never ever become a high performing team where you put a tick in the box. It doesn't happen. So therefore what you sign up for is being an evolving team. Are we adapting? The question you have to ask yourself is, are we adapting fast enough? Do we have high learning velocity? If we're adapting and learning and we're tweaking, even if some of those tweaks don't work, if we're constantly changing a little bit, you're probably effective. If you get to a point like we're done now, we have great ways of working and all we need to do is turn it into BAU, business as usual, we just deliver on this, you're probably gonna miss an externality and you're probably gonna miss a trigger for change. And all of a sudden you're one of those heritage organizations. Yes, yeah, you become the anchor, right? But, but in, in, in a team sense, you become the anchor that slows everyone else down because you're like, we've got these set ways of working, they're fixed. And you're like, but the world really isn't fixed. So your fixed way of working is not gonna scale. Dom, can you talk to accountability at Atlassian or perhaps in your own, you know, belief system? What does accountability look like? So you've got your user manuals, you're constantly tweaking and evolving and making those adjustments. Where does that accountability piece come into it? Yeah, so it's holding each other to a promise, right? So, yeah, I think about like, I was in a meeting yesterday and, you know, one of the people in the meeting sort of 10 minutes ago was like, we're all going to do thumbs up, thumbs sideways, thumb down for how the meeting went, right? It was the person who was leading the meeting and we all talked about it and everyone was thumbs up and I was like, what, what was so good about this meeting? Like we all knew before the meeting what we had to do, in the meeting what was expected of us, and we're all crystal clear on what's happening next. So before the end of the meeting, and it sounds cheesy, we had actions and I'm like, okay, that's my action. They're like, actually that action's more important than that one. I need that one more urgently because it's on my critical path. And we had that open discussion in the meeting, which means when I left the meeting, I was like crystal clear on what I had to do next. I also know what we're going to discuss in the next meeting, right? We never used the A word. We didn't have to say, I'm holding you accountable for that because we're not in the Victorian times, right? And so you don't, <laughs> you don't have to say it in such a formal way. But, but actually what tends to happen, and I think this is the nuance of your question here, we leave that to an assumption. 
And when I assume it, the next thing that you'll find yourself doing, I had a great mentor called me out on this a few years ago. She showed me that I was using the F word too much, which was favor. And she said, you're asking for favors, you're not holding people accountable. Favors don't scale. So what will do you a favor as a one-off, right? Are your mates do you a favor when they help you move house and you give them a crate of beer, that's a favor. Because you've got to hold them accountable because that's not their job. But in work, if I go up to Bob and go, Bob, can you do me a favor and run the Thursday report because it's Thursday? That's not a favor. Bob, that's your bloody job, right? So, <laughs> so how do I set the expectation that that's your job? And therefore, when you meet that expectation, thumbs up. And when you miss it, thumbs down. We tend to miss that conversation up front. We need that to be more explicit. And I think when we do, when we know the things we're accountable for, we can get, then give people the freedom of how they get there. Right, and, and and this is where people go. But if, if you if you hold people to accountable too much, then you you're throttling the system. I disagree. Call me up. Be crystal clear on what you expect me to deliver. Give me the freedom in how I get there, because I should use my brain and my IP to do that well. If you trust me, so I don't need to give me all the steps. But we need crystal clear agreement on what that end picture looks like. Wow, uh, you just said this really cool thing about. So up front, you're saying thumbs up. Like we are all clear on what you're doing, and everyone knows the next steps. Thumbs down, that person didn't didn't deliver. What do you yeah. do in the thumbs down moment? How do you talk about, hey, Bob, you haven't delivered? What does that conversation look like for you when you're having those uh, feedback conversations with stu- with your team? Yeah, so if you, like, first of all, caveat, I'm very fortunate in the system I'm in at Atlassian, right? So I reckon 90% of those conversations happen without me, right? It's the teammates going, hey, I, I'm reliant on that thing. What, yeah, help me. Help me understand why it's been delayed or help me to like, do you understand? Um, and, and so we always come from a place of understanding. It's not you haven't done finger pointing. It's help me understand what the struggle is here. And maybe it's that you don't know the importance of that report to me. Once I explain the context, you're like, ah, oh, now I'm like, or oh, what I do with it. When I get that on a Thursday, I do these 10 things and then I have to issue it on a Friday, right? So, so actually when you give someone the context, it can make more sense. And um, most of those conversations happen without me because that's the team self-solves, right? And I love that self-soothing, self-solving, that they hold each other accountable for delivery. Um, the odd one will get escalated to me for whatever reason, and that is always a, a still a sense of understanding, but a private conversation. For me, I'm always looking to balance, when am I recognizing people for po- positive behavior? We have an internal system called Kudos, right? Anyone does a, a job and goes above and beyond, um, tremendous work on that project, you went above and beyond, you lived our values, play as a team. Based on that, here's a gift voucher, here's a thank you card, well done, right? Recognition lifts the bar right, where we recognize the positive behavior, we use our values to do that. We also use our values to call out negative behavior, but that's a conversation in private, right? But again, it's always with the intent of how can I help you be better, not how can I punish you? I'm going to play the role of the emerging fan of Dom Price and throw out a couple of words, uh, which is bad apples. So I've come to learn that you've done some research, you've come up with this idea of bad apples, and I'm hoping you can tell us what that's all about. Yeah, so we we, we did do some recent research on on the state of teams and bad apples was a funny one. We we weren't expecting this to to maybe come out as it did, but it did. Let me first just get us a shared understanding of what a bad apple is, right? Because a lot of people are like, might that be me? This is the person that sort of expresses negative emotions. They're very pessimistic. They're angry. They're irritable. Uh, they probably violate your interpersonal norms. Like they make fun of each other. They might act rudely, uh, publicly, publicly embarrass others, um, or they dodge responsibility, right? And, and basically all your listeners right now have nodded because they've all just imagined <laughs> that person, right? So our, our research showed, uh, unfortunately, there's quite a few of them around. 
Um, and, and we didn't really expect it. We were, we were hopeful, but more than a quarter of people uh, said that they worked with a bad apple. And actually, the scary part was nearly 14% said that the bad apple was their manager. So you're like, okay, Ugh. think about that in the world of teams. 26% are, are experiencing that could be a peer or, or anyone in the team. But 14% nearly are going, that, that person is basically my role model, right? That they're expressing this behavior. Now, again, I'm not suggesting that these people arrive bad. Right, lots of these people are the products of their environment. That they've been made bad. They they arrived as an okay apple, right? But they've been put in a place. Maybe it's the the politics, the structure, the the culture. There's a whole lot of things that that made them bad. And some of them maybe arrived bad. But it's understanding what's the negative effect they're having. How can we understand why are they behaving that way, and how can we negate that behaviour? Now, if no one talks up, if we all just accept it and we go along that behavior not only perpetuates and eventually gets recognized and rewarded, right? It, it actually gets worse before it gets better. So, you know, we've tried to build a system internally around speaking up and, and having the freedom to speak up and call BS on bad behavior and then rewarding the people that call BS on bad behavior, right? We have to, we have to support and amplify that loop so that you can negate the negative impact of a bad apple. But they are out there alive and unfortunately doing well and lots of damage in teams all around the world. Can I just ask, so I love that definition of the bad apple, the, the person that's kind of negative, they're, they're bringing down the vibe on the team consistently. What about those people, and I would call them like a talented jerk? Or yeah. so, so the person that, like, would they be considered a bad apple? And, and I find it really difficult in organisations where you go into a business and, they, and everyone's like, hey, they're a high performer, but they're a jerk or they're an asshole. Yeah, no, no one wants to I have no room for them. I have no room for them because, because they, they negatively impact 50 people, right? And so the, the amount of support system you put in place for that brilliant jerk ends up not giving you an ROI anyway, right? You spend a whole lot of money basically fixing the damage they create because they create carnage as they go through the business and there's a whole team of people like you behind them just cleaning up and you're like, this isn't sustainable. We're, we're, we're celebrating their goodness and we're choosing to kind of ignore and turn a blind eye to their badness. Not cool, right? So, so if they have bad intent, that malicious behavior is bad intent, they're a bad apple, right? And that's the person that you either need to have a crucial conversation with or you need to gracefully exit from the business, right? Because they are causing infinitely more damage than the value you see. We, we try and avoid hiring those people. We do a values interview as part of our hiring process. Our values interviews have veto rights. So, so when we, we normally spot the, the highly intelligent, like best engineer we've ever met, absolute jerk, they do not get hired. That values interviewer will call out those behaviors and they will never enter an Atlassian building because we know that a positive employee can positively impact lots of people. A negative employee has the same impact, just negative. And so we just can't afford for that to, to trickle through our business. And in your experience, if you've got a bad apple, can you can you take it and turn it into like a beautiful apple pie or something that, yeah. you know, is good? Look, we, you, you know this better than me. Humans are very malleable, right? Whether it be the neuroscience of our brain, our, our behaviours, our habits, we are very malleable when we are given a chance. And, and I think the danger here is people go, oh, Bob, bad apple, let's get rid. That's not what I'm suggesting. What I'm saying is, first of all, identify who, then find out why, right? Seek first to understand. And when you understand why they're a bad apple, then you can help them adjust those behaviors. I, I gave someone some feedback recently, and, and it, it may be someone that you might have labeled a bad apple, but when I gave them the feedback, they were shocked. They're like, I've never had that feedback before. And I was like, really? Like, I, I, I don't think it was a one-off that you did that behavior. Like, for me, it's quite pervasive. And I just, and, and so they went and asked five other people who were like, oh yeah, you do that. I, I just didn't tell you. And so just like their awareness alone 
Just being aware of that has helped them change, right? Versus we're like, ah, someone else will give them the feedback. It's not my job. It's not my job. It's someone else's job to do, right? So that person never gets feedback. They're never going to change. So I, I think we owe it to them to give them a shot. And if, we get, if they give it a red hot go, anyone's malleable. If they choose not to do that, we're in a thriving economy. Go and work somewhere else. Like, I'll help you move, right? Maybe there is a place. And actually, one of the things to remember, a lot of organizations, if you micromanage, you can actually afford to have bad apples because you're going to micromanage them. I can't afford them because I have very autonomous teams. So a bad apple is going to negatively impact 100 people. If you're going to micromanage them and tell them what to do, maybe it matters less, right? So if you're in a non-autonomous business or you just want to hire machines to follow you know, the process, maybe it doesn't matter whether they're, they're a bad apple or not. Maybe, maybe there is a place for them. I'm not sure. Can I go go back just a second on, I love what you were saying about the values interview. And mm. I, the Atlassian values, like I, I've... Love how it plays a team and, and what's that? Don't open company, no bullshit. Uh, don't bleep the customer, yeah. <laughs> uh, build with heart and balance, and be the change you seek. And I, I'm just wondering, what is that? What are you looking for in the values interview? Like, what sort of things are you, are you wanting to see from that person you're interviewing? Yeah, so, so in theory, like stories and appetite, right? A, a willingness to explore. Essentially, if you imagine that there's, uh, let, let's just massively simplify the world. There's people that only see the past and therefore see what has happened and therefore that's everything that could be. And there's people that look to the future and they see opportunity and chance and a chance to explore and experiment. I acknowledge that lots of people are products of their environment. They could have worked somewhere really political, really negative, really bad, right? But when I say to them, uh, under the value of be the, change you th- be the change you seek, talk to me about how you think that might manifest. If they tell me all the reasons they can't do that because of their past, they're losing me. If they tell me, you know what? I've never worked in an environment where I got to do that. But if I did, here's how I'd approach it. I'm like, bring it on, right? Because they've got the hunger, the appetite, the desire. And that's not generational, that's mindset, right? I I can interview someone in their 60s with that mindset and someone in their 20s who hasn't, right? It's not age, it's not generational. It's it's an appetite and a hunger. And so what we're looking for is, everyone we hire, we want them to add and improve our average. If they are the average, They've become the anchor that has slowed us down, right? Simple maths. And so I need people who are like, here's my previous experience and here's what I think I can bring from that to make it lasting even better. And here's how I think about change. Here's how I think about be the change you seek and balance. Here's how I think about don't beat the customer and how I want to build anything. It, it's what can be done, not what you have done, right? So we're not looking for people that have to have been there and done that. It's just the mindset of, have I got the willingness to do that? So under the banner of be the change you seek, you know, a great example relatively recently with a candidate who's like, yeah, I've not had a chance to make any change in any of the environments I've been in because here's all the reasons why. I'm like, cool. In this environment, you're going to get the chance to drive change. Talk to me about that. They're like, no, nah, nah, change is impossible. I'm a boss. Wouldn't I? Here's all the reasons why I couldn't. I'm like, I'm going to give you a third go. Because in this environment, I need you to drive change and I need to know you're willing to do that. Because if you go looking for barriers, you might find them, but I don't think they're there. So how are you? I am letting you know right now. And the values interview is great because it's a two-way process. I reckon, because I'm a values interviewer, I reckon I've scared plenty of people off in a values interview because not everyone is going to thrive in the Atlassian environment, right? Just like there's, there's someone out there for all of us, it doesn't mean we all need to date each other, right? It's find <laughs> the person that, that works for you that might not be the person that works for me. It's the same with jobs, right? Not everyone's going to thrive in my environment. Therefore, well, let's work out if there's a match or not. 
Oh, we uh, we love that. We love dating analogies for careers. <laughs> like it's just like a really good way. It's like your person doesn't have to be my person, and we're we're fine with that. Hey, thanks for listening. We love learning how to do all things well, which is why we have a bunch of different podcasts on a variety of topics. So go and check out My Millennial Investor, My Millennial Property, My Millennial Money Medical, My Millennial Health, My Millennial Business, and My Millennial Money. Find these wherever you're listening to this podcast. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I want to ask you a few questions on leadership to kind of round out some of this conversation. And are there leadership red flags for you? What would that look like? The first one's probably like thinking about leadership as a title. That that, that kind of bothers me. Um, I've not got the L word in, in my title and I, I don't think I ever have, but I've always been in a role of some kind of leadership. Leadership for me, when you think about it, the true spirit of it is, is a chance to influence the impact. If you can influence the impact or people in some way, you're in a role of leadership. Um, leadership isn't line management, right? That, I mean, that's one version of it, but I think people get fixated on that version. So the, the red flag for me is when people think it's just line management versus going... I could be leading a project or leading a team of people that don't report to me. Therefore, how do I lead? How do I turn up? That, that's one. The second red flag is I'm done as a leader. Like I've learned as a leader and now it's just a case of me deploying what I've learned. That's like a trigger for me. I'm like, wow, like you are so stuck in the dark ages. Um, so how do I help you wake up to, to evolution and, and driving? And then the third one is as a leader, I need to help others, which I can't, like, that's not that that's bad. But if you're not helping yourself, then you're not able to help others. And so uh, I do a lot of coaching and mentoring with leaders to help them understand how do they role model behaviors? How do they role model attitudes and competencies? Because they need to drive their own change before they can drive anyone else's change, right? And so I get the whole servant leadership thing. It, it's brilliant. But, uh, and situational leadership as well. Like I, I love all the theories there. I, I think for me right now, the best leaders that I'm working with both within Atlassian and outside Atlassian um, it's two things. It's authentic and incredible, right? Um, yeah, there's, there's some humility in there as well, but they're authentic people who are happy to say, I'm great at this, I'm not great at that. They're happy to talk rounded. They're, they're, they don't claim to be a superhero. They don't wear a cape and fly in anywhere, right? They're, they're just rounded normal people, but they know where they have credibility in a certain topic and they know where they don't. And that self-awareness, uh, I, I find very appealing when I'm working with leaders. I'd love to, as a follow-on, you mentioned up front, Dom, there's been those times where you've had some really difficult feedback and, and mm. that's a really important part. Like whatever, wherever you're at in your career, getting feedback is such a crucial element of growth. Yes. For you, 
what's been, and feel uh, to share as vulnerably as you want, but what's been one of those things that you've had those, that, that toughest feedback you've received and how have you navigated that as a leader and in your own career? Yeah, two, two bits that spring to mind, actually. One, um, in, in a workshop I was running just before the pandemic, actually, um, and, and I got to the end of the workshop and I was over the moon. I was like, you know, you know those sensations where you're like, nailed it. No one needed to tell me I nailed it. I knew I nailed it. Like, we'd got to the outcome. We had a you know, bunch of paper full of actions. My boss was in there. They were like, there's a whole lot of people that were happy. And then I just had this weird thought in my mind that something was missing, but I, I couldn't put my finger on it. And we were having a tea break and I was chatting around and there's one person who wasn't really saying much. And I went up to her and I was trying to wear, I was like, how did you find it? She's like, no, 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 it doesn't matter. I was like, oh, no, it, it does matter. How did you find it? And she's like, I felt excluded. And I was like, oh, and I suddenly realized I hadn't missed the thing that she'd never said. And it hit me really hard. So I was like, I, I, I had the intention of building an inclusive environment, but I got so carried away with getting to the outcome that when I heard things that got me to that outcome, I amplified them and emphasized them and got them on the whiteboard. What I didn't do is to go pause. Does anyone disagree? Because I was so hell bent on getting to the outcome. And so that was one whereby that wasn't my intent. And so that, that, that kind of thing, I was like, okay, I need to understand as a alpha male who loves facilitating, loves holding the pen at the whiteboard, how do I listen or source dissenting views? Um, and so it was funny, I, 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 you know, I had a great session with Dan Pink uh, soon after I was, I was at South by Southwest and he gave me the phrase, um, argue like you're right and listen like you're wrong, which I've written down on post-it notes all over my home office and my office in work. I'm like, argue like you're right, put my fo- point forward with passion and then open the big floppy things and, and listen like I'm wrong. Um, and that's been, that's been really valuable. The second one was actually on a piece of my content. Uh, again, a few years ago, I was doing a presentation about high-performing teams and effective teams. And this guy came up to me and he did the great thing. He's like, Dom, um, would you like some feedback? I was like, no, I really would. He's like, are you sure? I was like, wow, okay, <laughs> braced, <laughs> ready. This is, gonna be, this is gonna be one of those, right? I was like, no, I, I am, yeah. And he said, I feel like your entire presentation told me about being fit. But at no point did you acknowledge that I'm fat. And therefore, you've not helped me change. You've just helped me feel worse. And I was like, oh, so I, I literally, we grabbed a tea and I'm like, talk me through this. Like, talk me through your emotions through the keynote. Because that was, again, wasn't my intent. But basically, it's like, I feel like you're the equivalent of Instagram. You've told me what fit, gorgeous people look like, but you've not written me a diet plan or given me a healthy regime or a workout plan. You've just really made me feel bad about myself. And so I was like, cool, I need to, so it enabled me to tweak my content to meet my audience more where they are, not here's what the outcome looks like. All right, I'm going to shift gears on us now. And um, I'm doing that thing I do, Dom, where I uh, kick shell under the table and yeah. say, we're running out of time. It's not every, every episode because I'm like, uh, we could just talk yeah, for I'm hours, like, please. We can, do an, we can do another episode of the feature. I'm not going Careful what you <laughs> wish for. Uh, so where I want to shift gears to is another space that you uh, inhabit, which is around happiness and happiness yes. in life and career. And this is a place I do not want to miss talking about. So um, I understand you've done some research. I understand you've got some views and inventory as well. And perhaps you can tell us about that. Yeah, so just the, the, the very quick background is in, in sort of 2020, there was two sort of uh, pivotal life moments for me. One, my own diagnosis for the illness that thankfully I recovered from and, and, and got well from. But again, it's one of those things that 
I think mortality I always associated with older people. And, and as a younger person, you're like, that shit, that shit happened to like ages away. And, and it was quite confronting. And then my, my sister, who also happened to be my best friend, uh, passed away from breast cancer, both within like a month of each other. And so I, I have this moment, I'm in quarantine in Sydney by myself 14 days. And I'm like, I either spiral down or I spiral up. And, and it's on me. Like no one, there's no one here to intervene and trigger this. This is on me, so do I choose up or down? And I chose to spiral up, despite what was going on. And I'm like, I need a framework. I need something that helps me understand where am I at today and where do I want to go? And, and so the, the personal moral inventory is actually from the world of finance, right? It's bizarre, it's used in finance a fair bit. And I'm like, how would that apply to people? So basically there's, there's four items you score yourself on. You score yourself on productivity and profit, which is basically your work. You score yourself on people, like right? your family, your friends, your, your own personal health and well-being, your network, your, your crew. Um, you score yourself on planet, right? Are you a, a negative on the planet? Are you a positive in terms of reduce, reuse, recycle, carbon footprint, all that jazz? And then score yourself on purpose. Like, what, 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 like when I get to the end of my time here, what's the impact I want to, I want to have had? And am I heading towards that, right? And, and what I found is when I scored myself on that, I was expanding a lot of energy, improving the areas that were already quite good, right? For me, productivity and profit was a good area. I was scoring a one on that. And yet every year when I pulled up my goals, I was trying to take that one and make it a shiny one or an even better one. I was like, hang on, I'm screwing over the planet. I've not got good family relationships. Like I'm out of kilter. So I, I don't use this as an exercise to beat myself up. I use it as an exercise to go, where's my balance? And is my balance right for me right now? And invariably it's not. And if it's not, what actions do I want to take to improve that? And so it's small bite-sized chunks just to get myself back into kilter, right? And it's, you never reach a utopian point. You don't get to the end. Again, there's no tick in the box exercise. It's just about going, how am I investing in my life right now? And you have to acknowledge as part of this, you have to acknowledge and accept that I choose my investments in my life and I'm going to determine how happy I am. I'm not going to leave that to someone else, right? There's not someone I'm going to meet who's going to make me happier than I can make myself. There's not a job that's going to make me happier. Like, I need to do this for me, for my benefit. And then if I do that properly, I can benefit the world in the same process. So uh, I probably redo this every six or 12 months. Uh, I, I did it you know, just at the end of June. I was like, you know what? I just need a refresh. I just need to check. And, and most of it probably... I reckon 70%, I was like, oh, I'm happy with what I'm doing there. It was, it was on track. And then there's a few bits where I wanted to tweak. I'm like, oh, I own that. I, I own that trade-off. And it's... It means doing that trade-off on purpose, not by accident. It will happen to you. If you don't do it, life happens around you. You become a passenger. I don't want to be a passenger in my life. I want to be the driver of it. So I'm like, cool, get on the rocket ship, Don Price, and drive it, but I need to do that on purpose. And so when when you did that, like you went through the, to the diagnosis process of I'm doing well in the productivity and profit space, but I'm lower in, in the relationship side of it or, or whatever that was, what are the practical things you did to like improve that? when you said it was off kilter, what do you do to improve? Yeah, I mean, great, great example. So in 2019, I did 97 flights around the world, right? Um, no, one had, no one had forced me to do those 97 flights. I, I just say yes to too many things, right? So I did so many trips to Europe, the US and Asia, I'm all over the place. What that meant is I couldn't hold down a, a, an interpersonal relationship, right? I, I, I was on the dating apps, but I would meet someone and go, I'm off for four weeks, bye. And they would then bugger off. They're like, I'm not gonna sit around and wait for you for four weeks. And then I'm gonna come back and go, I'm back. Only for two weeks, then I'm off again. And so I'm like, there was a trade-off in there that I never acknowledged. Once I did my personal moral inventory, I'm like, oh, I've tripled down on work. So I'm nailing that at the consequence of my own personal relationships in life. Is, is that trade-off real? And actually, if I dial it back and if I only do 50 flights, 
Do I fail at my job? No, apparently I'm still successful. Like, I, and, and so the, the reality was a lot of the stuff I was signing up for wasn't adding value. It was the cherry on the icing, on the cake, on the cake, on the stand. I'm like, but I'm doing that at the detriment, right? So, so how do I find the balance? Well, I need to spend more time in Australia and have more energy to invest in a relationship for that to be a thriving relationship. It doesn't mean I can't travel. I just could be way more purposeful on, on when I travel. So again, it's just about balancing and realizing that everything's a trade-off, right? You know, I signed up for a new uh, with a new electricity company. I pay a little bit more for my electricity and gas, but everything they do is carbon neutral. I'm like, okay, I, I think I'm privileged enough. I've got a good income. I can afford that, so therefore I'm going to. So notional choice I made. So I've got less money in my pocket, but I'm, I'm doing slightly better things for the planet. Recycling takes time. Recycling doesn't give me any money, but if I put the right things in the yellow bin and the blue bin and the green bin, life gets better for everyone. So, that, so just making those notional decisions and choices and then understanding where those trade-offs are and, and then just working out. Because each time you tweak it, for me, I always think the whole world's going to come tumbling down. Nothing does. right? When I went from 97 flights to like 30, no, no one tapped me on the shoulder and went, Dom, you're letting the team down. You've really taken your foot off the pedal. They were like, well, you're still doing a lot. And I was like, I was doing three times as much. It's just that none of you actually care. You didn't, none of you expected that. I, I had a stupid bar in my life. Therefore, how do I rebalance that? And just having that as an open dialogue. That's so good. It's so helpful. We've probably got time for one more question to close out and we will include in the show notes the link to the personal moral inventory and some of Dom's work in this space as well as the bad apples. Everyone's going to want to read that, I know. Yeah. It's really fun and, and uh, people will get a laugh out of that as well. Okay, last question. Em's picked it. She's pointed at the screen about the last question. I love that decision making. <laughs> there, was, like, that, there, was, there was a visual there which was going, it's that one. Yeah. Not, not any of the others, that one. Em's, Em's pointed, she's given her direction. Do you want to ask it? Oh, okay. Pressure's on now. I've really set the expectation. So, look, this is a real classic, but I think it'll draw out a nice place to finish. And that is what is the best or worst. So, a little decision-making um, opportunity for you in here. So, best or worst career advice you've ever received. And if I oh, can encourage that. you to pick something that perhaps has had, you know, an impact, yeah. uh, that's a little hot tip from me. That might um, be a nice place to finish. Yeah, I love it. The, the, the worst advice I ever got was fit in. And, and, and it was, I, I think at the time I didn't realise how patronising it was, but I was like, this, this particular organisation has spent ages trying to hire the right person and apparently that had been me. Uh, but then when I got in, they were like, yeah, it, like you just need to fit in a bit more. And I'm like that's going to give you what you had, which is not what you want. And so that was some terrible advice. Thankfully, I ignored it and managed to politely ruffle some feathers anyway. But I, I think fitting in wasn't the goal for me at the time uh, and, and didn't match my values, my my, my morals. Um, the best advice I think I've... There's, there's a couple of bits of gems I've had along the way. One was to swap, uh, to cancel all favours, to help people cancel. We've already covered that. The other one is is to swap sorry for thank you. Mm. Um, and it served me really well, you know, uh, Instead of saying, sorry, I'm late, thank you for your patience. Um, and it's, it just completely changes the tone for me. And, it, and it's enabled me to go, my mindset shifted. That same person said to me, Dom, if ever you're struggling in a conversation, just say the words, how might we? It turns it from a negative conversation to a positive. And I was like, ah. So suddenly so like you're having a, a discussion with someone and you feel like you're going down a rabbit hole. How might we make this better? How might we get this out quicker? How might we work differently together? And so it's just opening up the conversation, and, and I, I love that to to kind of bring people bring people in is to uh, is, is to, to think about how you open up the conversation. There's an optimism to that, and uh, I think that's beautiful advice to to end on. 
And so, Dom, if people want to, I'm sure our listeners are going to want to follow your work and, and what's the best way for them to find you? Uh, yeah, at Don Price on LinkedIn is where I do most of my stuff. Uh, you can find me at donprice.me, which is my website. There's a whole lot of stuff out there. W- one of our sort of values around openness, we, we, as soon as we land on something remotely plausible and we think it's decent, we share it. So that's probably the best place to, to source that stuff. Awesome. Well, we just want to say thank you so much. It's great to have this time with you and get all this insight. I know it's going to be really helpful. Thank you for your time. Thanks for hosting. It's such a fun podcast and I can't wait to be on the next one. Yeah. We can pick some new topics and do this again sometime soon. Totally. We're doing business with you, Dom. Thank Thanks. you. <laughs> awesome. Bye. We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. Hey, thanks for listening. We love learning how to do all things well, which is why we have a bunch of different podcasts on a variety of topics. So go and check out My Millennial Investor, My Millennial Property, My Millennial Money Medical, My Millennial Health, My Millennial Business, and My Millennial Money. Find these wherever you're listening to this podcast. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.